Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the last lap podcast. That is the last lap podcast. Closer together than the Mercedes front wings. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's good. <laughs> I am your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Sean Gray. How are we doing? We are good, I think. Um, good. It is, uh, this week, the turn of the Austrian Grand Prix. From the brand new Baku circuit, we move to a place with a bit more Formula 1 history. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. From 1970 to 1987, the event was held at the Österreich Ring, which was a fast circuit. Indeed, increasing speeds along with other safety aspects meant that when the 1987 Grand Prix began with a start line crash and a sub subsequent restart had another start line multi-car pileup, it was time to retire the circuit. In 1995, the circuit began a redesign by that man, Hermann Tilke, and it returned to the F1 calendar in 1997, now called the A1 Ring. An uncomplicated design, it only features nine corners. Compare this to Singapore's 23. It stayed on the calendar until 2003. One notable event in that time was the 2002 race. Ferrari driver Rubens Barrichello qualified on pole and should have won the race, if not for Ferrari's team orders forcing him to let teammate Michael Schumacher through. Unfortunately, this position swap was taken at the last possible moment before the chequered flag, and the Austrian fans did not take it well. Schumacher, initially pleased at his win, realised what was happening and attempted to get Barrichello up onto the top step and hand him the winner's trophy. To compound an already ridiculous situation, this was viewed by the FIA as a breach of podium protocol and Ferrari, Schumacher and Barrichello were fined one million dollars. This incident was also instrumental in the FIA banning of team orders over the radio, although teams, including Ferrari, subtly attempted to get round the ban. Fernando is faster than you. For 2004, there were two new races in China and Bahrain, and this, coupled with the Austrian government's support of anti-tobacco legislation in the EU, meant that Formula One said Auf Wiedersehen to Austria once more. However, I'll be back. it returned in 2014. The 2.688-mile circuit remained the same, but the name was different, now known as the Red Bull Ring after the company bought it in 2004. There were grand plans for the site at the time, which unfortunately were aborted by local residents over noise and pollution, so the version of the circuit we have now is still the same layout, albeit with new pit facilities and grandstands. It's reasonably slow, slow with a top speed of 187 miles an hour, but the short distance makes for a quick lap time of around 1 minute 8 set by uh, Schumacher in 2003. Nico Rosberg has won both of the races here since its most recent return, so coming off the back of another win in Baku must be the favourite. Let's find out if he extends his championship lead with Andrew and Sean. So the Osterreich Ring, <coughs> which somebody pointed out to me actually is the German for Austria, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not it's, actually. It's, I don't it's think it's Osterreich. the Austrian for it, isn't it? So, but, but Austria, they, don't they just speak German? So I don't. I always thought it was different. It's slightly different. It's like a dialect, but it's like you know, it's still 
At its core, it's, the German language, I think. Yes. Don't quote I, me on that. <laughs> I definitely know that there's like there's a difference if you hear Nicky Lauda speaking. It's not like the way he says stuff or some of the way he says stuff is very different in Austrian as it, as it would be if it was a German speaker. I think it's a bit like, you know, dialects in, and English language. and Scottish, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, almost. Yeah, English like and Glaswegian. And things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly that. At its core, they are both based on the same language, but they obviously have very different ways of presenting themselves. But we digress. <laughs> <laughs> we, we certainly do. Um, Our geography spin-off coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go back to Quali for the Austrian Grand Prix because but it, it rather threw up some surprises. Um, if anything, three practice three was where the, where the main, where, what really essentially dictated the dynamic of the whole race with Rosberg being in the car and having to to take the five-place grid penalty. That 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 was FP3, and that completely altered the shape of the entire weekend. Like, the race could have been a completely different occasion if Rosberg didn't have to start down in, down in sixth on the grid. Well, let's, um, let's talk about the people who, who kind of supplanted themselves in the, in the top ten in a way that was uh, quite surprising. Obviously, um... Nico Hulkenberg for Force India, uh, popping it up in third place, up to second. Um, and Jensen Button in the McLaren, getting from fifth to third. Who'd have uh, thought it? Reckoning. Yeah. You know, changeable conditions, a little bit of rain, slippery track out there, and JB proves what we all know about Jensen Button, is that he's, he's the man for the job in, in those conditions. So was a, you know, I didn't think there was ever going to be a situation where I would see the McLaren that high up on the grid this year. So well done to the old boy, Jensen. <laughs> I think it's some validation that, that probably the the Honda, uh, the Honda McLaren chassis itself isn't too bad a chassis. Uh, if it was, then, you know, as soon as the rain came down and, it, you know, it, it wouldn't matter how good JB was, it, car will be all over the place. So it's what, it's what we've been saying for the best part of two true. years, though, isn't it? About McLaren, that the chassis, you know, decent. You know, we've all we've we've, we've said that for since since they switched to Honda. That if they could just get the engine going, there's absolutely no reason why they can't be mixing it with the likes of the Williamses and the Red Bulls and the Ferraris on a regular basis. So, yeah, like you say, this just kind of adds a little bit more weight to that. That when the the emphasis is moved away from pure power. They're there and thereabouts. So it, it was interesting, really, that um, both both McLarens looked pretty good for Q3. Alonso losing out because he he did his uh, fast lap on the uh, on used tyres because they were keen to they were so keen to get him out quickly. They just chucked on the first set that they got their hands on rather than uh, thinking about it. Um, but yeah, just uh, just interesting overall. Uh, interesting dynamic in the penalties, which seemed to um, bring out the uh, tin foil hat enthusiasts. Wondering why Rosberg ended up only six places down, rather than um, uh, rather than more, um, or four places down rather than five in sixth, I should say. Uh, it's a bit confusing even talking about it. Um, but it's because Sebastian had a penalty as well, though. Yes, it is, and it's the way that they they apply the penalties. So um, everybody moves first, and then they move everybody back up. So. Because Sebastian got his penalty first, he moves out of fourth down to wherever he's going down to from there. Maths is terrible. Um, so that <laughs> essentially leaves a space that is still a place. And then Rosberg takes his penalty. Um, so he moves down. But then everybody moves up one to take the Ros- you know, take Rosberg's place. So um, uh, And obviously Vettel's place. 
So essentially the space that he's jumped over where Vettel was disappears. So he moves, he only loses four places. And some people think to think that this is quite unfair, but realistically it's to protect the other way around where the person um, up ahead uh, gets their penalty first, uh, moves around uh, and therefore disadvantages the guy behind um, who, who had his penalty later. It makes much more sense in that in that situation. When it's like this, it gets a bit more tricky. Um, but in the end, I think it it, it evens itself out to be a, a fairly. Well, well, uh, well, it is what it is at the end of the day. Like, true. So it's gonna ha- it's gonna happen again and to different people. Just because on this occasion it was neat. It just the rule is what it is for everybody. You know, they're all playing the same rules here. It's not like it's favouring one person or the other. So we started the race with a, a very mixed up grid, which led for um, what we thought, might, what I thought might have been a slightly more interesting start, but uh, not not very much happened. Everybody kind of managed to pretty much get through the, the yeah, first corner relatively. Everybody behaved, didn't they? You know, I thought there was going to be carnage, especially with um, Vettel down the pack and Nico down the pack. But no, quite quite disappointed in the end. I was hoping for a bit more a bit more chaos in the first lap because. You know, with Lewis getting off in front, it looked from from there, from without him getting past on the first lap, it was hard to see him getting caught. A clean getaway for Lewis looked, you know, obviously, ultimately, and then it didn't work out that way. But after fir- first couple of laps, I was thinking, oh, Lewis isn't getting caught from here. Uh, but, yeah, everybody behaved for once. The big loser being Nico Hockenberg, who... Uh, it's, first gear seemed OK, but he seemed to bog down through the next couple of gears and just wasn't getting anywhere so it was like about sixth by the time he got out the first corner uh big winner jensen button going second in the mclaren which sure must have given him a slight nosebleed <laughs> just a bad uh go back to nico Hawking, but just a bad day all around don't know what it happened was, with that it was car. not a good weekend that pace that he had in qualifying just evaporated and he dropped down like you say down to sixth on the first lap and then just kept plummeting through the field but yeah good old good old jb man uh Again, up there in second. On a, interestingly, as well, he managed to maintain his position for as long as he did on a track that is, you know, a power circuit. It's 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 one of the most, you know, with any nine we- corners. Ha- ha- yeah, highly weighted power tracks we can have, and that there was that McLaren up there in second on lap two. You'd have had good money. Yeah, there. keeping keeping Vettel behind him, wasn't he? For yeah, for for, for you know, for a time. Yeah, it was good. Um, and then we got the kind of, I don't know. It was a bit of a lull. I must admit, I kind of was thinking, oh, not very much is happening here. This is going to be a bit of a boring race. Lewis is going to disappear into the distance, and then um, that'll be that. But um, we had uh, Sebastian Vettel's mysterious exploding tyre of which we haven't seen since uh, ironically Silverstone previously you know he was trying to so everybody had sort of stopped by that point and, he, and, and Vettel was obviously trying to extend the stint out as long as possible so I mean there was a few talk, there was a few question marks over whether Ferrari had you know pushed the boat out a little bit too far from that, that matter do you think that, that had anything to do with it you know trying to stay on the tyres too long or I don't know. Sh- that I mean, that should surely the way I see it is that should surely affect performance, but not safety of the tire. 
You see what I'm saying? You'd have thought you'd have seen him losing a lot of lap time before that kind of happened, uh, uh, knowing that he'd gone through the meat of the tyre. Um, he was still kind of managing his pace all right. Yeah. Everybody around him, everybody around him stops. So Nico stops uh, pretty much the earliest, which was a bit of a surprise because obviously normally you would expect the lead car to to get to get the call, and and, and Lewis is out front. So they're trying to. I mean, then I mean the interesting dynamic was that the, ever, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls were on the the super soft tire, and and the Mercs were on the were on the ultra. So Hamilton's up front trying to. To eke out well, the he stint had, on... hadn't he? Done an amazing stint on those ultra softs compared to everybody else. And and there's Vettel matching him on on his on his set of supers. Nico comes in to get rid of his ultras, straps on the on the soft tire, and does his does his own thing. I must. We at that point, did you think, oh, Nico's gonna get like eighth place at this rate? Do you know what I mean? He's had to had to chuck away his boots early, and he's gonna yeah, end up I mean... back in traffic. And regardless of how nice his tires are, they're gonna. But he was light, he was lightning quick, and the gap was coming down to those in front of him at all times. So I thought maybe he'll get track position at one point. Honestly, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. It was an interesting race from that point of view because you didn't. With it goes back to what we've been saying a few a few times now with these different tire rigs when you can have three different cars on three different compounds all at the same time, it does throw that element of uncertainty into it. So you had Rosberg on the early stop, jumps onto the, the soft tire. He's got he's doing quick laps, but on on the on the hypothetical slowest tire. Then you've got Lewis for some reason doing uh, a mega long stint on the tire that should hypothetically last the least amount of time. And then you've got Vettel and the Ferrari kind of somewhere in between, uh, trying to eke out a stint on the super softs. And it was all just a bit unclear as to what was happening. And then obviously of bang goes Vettel's tyre, that brings out the safety car and it's, and it's all thrown up in the air again. Yeah, suddenly Rosberg is now leading the race. Um, the people that he was behind, he'd got the undercut on and then when everybody had to dive in for the pits, he was the the biggest benefactor. I mean, immediately, as soon as that happened, you could hear you could hear the kids here say, why is Nico in, in, in the front in this race? Why was he allowed to stop first? Why did they keep Lewis out? on the ultra soft tires for so long when he was losing a truckload of time. What what did you make of that sort of strategy decision from the Mercedes to try and have Mercedes? Because Hamilton even said before the race, he said, I know I've got the ultras on, but I'm going to watch them. I'm going to drive in a way that gets these tires, you know, to last longer than anybody thinks that they can. And obviously, and, and they did they did that. So why do you think they, they did that then? I thought it was very strange because Mercedes are usually quite conservative in, well, that's re- right. in regard to safety cars. So they usually don't go for the marginal strategy that can be easily unseated by that. So I, I did think it was off, odd in that sense, but... It, Do you think they it, were too busy I think it was quite clearly the best strategy. Do you know what I mean? And I think they looked at it and thought, <clears throat> there's going to be enough going on behind for the super soft guys that um, the clear air in front, you know, if Lewis gets away... Um, he's going to be able to manage the tyres. Um, well, that was the interesting thing. He managed to do the sort of similar lap times on the ultras for the same length of time as the guys on the super softs. So, uh, you know, I know the Mercedes is probably the, the quicker car, but you would have thought that Hamilton's tyres would have went off quicker and his lap times would have sort of well, I guess that I disappeared. Guess but he was if, able to maintain it. If you take, if you're say, you know, if they said there's like, you know five tenths or whatever it is between each of the tyre compounds or whatever it is. If you take that 
out of your lap times per per lap uh, and look after tires i guess you end up being it's got to even itself out isn't it you're you're not sure. taking the life out of them whilst doing a time that is as good as people on longer lasting slower tires i mean there'll obviously so. become a point where that that balance goes the other way and that you know in the the harder the compound gives you better lap time for longer but if it's if the you know if the crossover point is very small and it's obviously what mercedes had worked out that the actual crossover point was very very small so you could make a a set of ultras last with clean air and give you representative lap lap times um versus the super soft which is why they didn't do it in qualifying so they they that was obviously the strategy um otherwise they'd have stuck rosberg on some super softs knowing that he was going to take a five place grid penalty but i think they looked at it and went right we can we can race hard on these and, and then get going and then when it was clear that Rosberg wasn't getting anywhere. They had to go, all right, well, we'll better get him in and get him on the softs and change his strategy. Otherwise, I think he'd have done something similar to Lewis and gone for track position over outright lap time. Um, And if it wouldn't have been for the safety car, um, well, Lewis would have been sitting pretty because, you know, he'd he'd have come out, uh, you know, well ahead, um, having done more laps, lighter car, same tyre compound as everybody else. Um, He'd, well, he'd have it. literally been laughing. I mean, so he ended up, was it about 10, 10 to 12 seconds or something behind Rosberg, but on... Were they like 11 laps different tyres? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but that was the interesting thing, was that Rosberg was able to sort of manage the gap and more or less... But he got it out he... of DRS, didn't he, almost immediately? Um, and I must admit, I, I just assumed that um, Lewis would have picked him off before the next round of tire stops, and I, I never quite worked out why it didn't happen. I didn't quite. You'd have thought eleven laps. Lewis was just able to breeze past Nico. Yeah, you know, yeah. I understand why it didn't immediately happen necessarily, but the fact that they they actually got to you know sixteen laps away from the end of the race, and he hadn't really I, ever looked like doing it, despite having ten laps fresher tires. Yeah, it's an interesting one, especially yeah, that. When you consider the tyres that they, you know, he swapped to, and what Nico swapped to, I wonder if it's just these soft tyres. You know, they're. I think the gap between sort of racing at one lap old tyres versus racing lap ten lo- ten old tyres isn't ten lap old tyres isn't as much as what it would be if you were on the softer compounds. Um, I suppose that makes I, I'm sense. Just, I'm just hyper, I'm just hyper, like. No, you know, I think that's a out, sensible, I mean. sensible way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're on a, a one-lap old super softs or, or ultras versus ten-lap old ultras, the gap's going to be a lot bigger than one-lap old softs versus ten-lap old softs, just because of the nature of the tire, I guess. Possibly that might be a bit of an explanation for it. So, if Nico was on ten-lap old ultras and Lewis was on brand new fresh ultras, he probably would have breezed past them because they were on the harder compound. Just the nature of the tire might 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 be an explanation for it. I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll never really know. Maybe Rosberg was just—he he has very good round Austria. He's maybe just driving, driving the you know the wheels off the car to keep Lewis behind. True. Well, what that meant was that um, for the second time in the race, and and I think this is well worth pointing out because Mercedes said it at the start of the season we hadn't really seen it, um, but Lewis got to pit before Nico, despite having technically fresher tyres. That was the interesting thing as well because obviously Nico got the jump on um, through pitting earlier in the in the race and being fortunate with the safety car and stuff. So you had um, David Croft in commentary saying, "I wonder how they're going to give this back to Lewis." Did you hear that? 
Yes. And and obviously once Lewis uh, pitted it, pitted first, Crofty was was very satisfied. He was like, "Oh, well, that's you know, that's fair game because Rosberg got the pit earlier, pit earlier." But, I don't know. That kind of just bugged me a little bit because, you know, Rosberg was clearly on. They didn't. They didn't pit. You know, there was five positions between the two cars on the track. They didn't pit Rosberg to try and give him to an try undercut and jump on Lewis. Lewis. They no. pitted Rosberg because he had a he had a, a five place grid penalty and was out of position, and they had to do something to sort his race out. Yep. That's why they pitted Rosberg early. It wasn't because they were trying to. You know. No, that was a pit for second, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That they weren't trying to be a, like get behind by Lewis or do it to you know compete with Lewis. It was a purely Rosberg versus the Ferraris and the Red Bulls decision. So for, for you know, Crofty to be all like, oh, it's not fair that Rosberg got to pit before Lewis, I was kind of like, well, you know, that's not really relevant here. And then when Lewis did get the pit, the pit earlier on the second, the second round, he was, he was, he was, he was satisfied that, you know, justice had been done almost. Yeah. <laughs> it just, uh... Lewis lost that because he had a, a slow, was it a slow outlet? Um, yeah, he was scruffy in one of the corners. He locked a wheel and went a bit wide, and it, it let Rosberg come through. So by that point, we had um, Nico in front. Interestingly, on super soft tires, uh, because he didn't have another pair of the soft. So Lewis was on the yellow tire, and Nico was on the red tire, because Nico they'd made the decision. Obviously, these decisions are made weeks in advance about what tires to take. And at the time, they decided that only would only need one set of brand new soft tires which in hindsight looks like a bad decision. Yeah, I, I think in future they will... I think we'll start seeing a lot less extreme tyre strategies. Yep. I think people because, will be taking a minimum of two yeah, of the hardest because, compound. Exactly, because you make these decisions weeks in advance and then it, you know, the track temperature and things, you don't actually know what you're going to need on the weekend at that, that time. So to... To make such, like you say, an extreme choice so far in advance without knowing actually what they're going to be like when you get there just seems a little bit silly. And Mercedes, and particularly Nico's side of the garage, paid for that a little bit this weekend because he comes out on the super soft tyres and you're thinking, oh, well, the super soft should be quicker so he should be able to pull away from Lewis. But it didn't really work out that way. And the soft tyre proved to be, you know, probably the best tyre to be on at that stage in the race. And it's that's not the first time this season that's happened where... You think the obvious tire choice is actually not quite the case, and and it actually turns out that the harder tire is actually the better one to be on. These these Pirelli tires are a bit funny that way. They're they're very track temperature dependent, aren't they? About exactly how much grip they'll give you and how quickly you will give up that grip and start graining them. And it <clears throat> it seemed at the start of the race that this soft tires could go for quite a while, but I, I think as the race went on, it it got warmer didn't it i think it, it brightened up so i just wonder if the track temperature just came up and then with all the rubbering going going on throughout the race the track got grippier and it just started to pull at the the super softs a bit more than it did with the the softs so whilst it was giving up nice lap time at the start um it, it soon very quickly made it difficult and it just wasn't the tire to be on for no. a long stint really at the end of the day and and lewis obviously <laughs> went on the radio and went why is he on softer tires and the engineer had to say to him we think this is the right tire to be on Lewis and it, and it proved to be correct um and you could see it Nico, Nico like you know five six laps towards the end of the race Nico's was visibly you know he was his lap times were scruffier he was losing position he was losing ground it just looked like someone who didn't quite have the balance uh that that he perhaps would have had on that and and he certainly did have when he was on the on the yellow tire, and that obviously that's 
that's their fault for six six weeks ago picking the wrong tire choice. Uh, they can't, you know, had to make their bed and 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 sleep in it with regards to the the, the tires that they could use. And 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 Nico obviously did his best. And it comes down to the final lap where I suppose the the major talking point took place for the whole race. Uh, indeed. Um, well, what what did you make of it? I've got, I've got my thoughts. It'd be interesting to see what you thought of it. Um, I left the race feeling, I don't know, just, you know, like a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Like, like it had been an intriguing, really good Grand Prix all the way up to literally the final lap. And it just, it was a very unsatisfactory end to have an incident like that. If, mm-hmm. if, if Lewis had passed Nico and you know, did a clean move into the corner and, and got and got through. I'd have been a bit bugged because I'm a, I'd prefer to see Nico Rosberg win, but I'd have came away from it thinking, well, that was a really good Grand Prix and, and, and fair enough. But just the way it went down, it just left you, as as a fan of the sport more than anything, feeling a little bit disheartened. Like, that, as for the incident itself, so Lewis, I mean, he gets a super drive out of, uh, out of the first corner. He's all over Nico like a rash. Nico's tyres are obviously going off, as we've discussed. Coming up that straight, going into turn three, you couldn't see how Rosberg could possibly prevent him. Lewis was so close to him. Coming up that straight, I was saying to myself, this is this is a done deal. There's no way Rosberg can hold him off here. Lewis is going to get this. And then, I don't know, the incident itself... I, Honestly, I, I I don't even I don't even know. I don't think Nico deserved some of the criticism that he got for it. I think they need to like. I mean, I heard talk of that he was also suffering with slight brake issue, had tires going off. The, they're battling it um, two hundred mile an hour into turn three after being going at it for seventy laps. He probably should have yielded given that uh, uh, how close Lewis was to him and uh, how Lewis is all over the back of him like a rash. He probably, the sensible championship thing to do would have been to to yield the position a little bit more and, and, and accept second and, you know, maintain your championship lead with as minimal damage as possible. That would have been a sensible thing to do. And that's probably what he should have done. But these are Formula One drivers and, you know, that's not in their nature. And I can understand why he's defended aggressively as he as he has done. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I, I'm not absolving him of, of blame because I think he, he should have been a bit more sensible with his, his defence. But I don't think at the same time he should have been given as much criticism as he was because at the end of the day, these are battling for a world championship at 200 miles an hour. It's not an easy thing to be doing that under the pressure that they're under. So I'm, I'm not, I don't want him to be to be vilified quite as much as the way he was in some some quarters. But he, he probably should have been a little bit more sensible. So I'm kind of sitting on the fence. But uh, that's, that's sort of my take on it. If I had it been in hindsight, I think he would have accepted that Lewis was, you know, so quick or coming out the, the turn one and all over him so, and to such an extent. That in hindsight he should have just you know accepted defeat, taken a sec, taken the second place, and still got out there with a championship lead bigger than what it is now. Okay, okay. So my take on it is conceptually what he did is okay. It's not 
that much different in my mind really than kind of what happened at the start of the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, inside of the corner, takes the corner, you can push the other person on the outside out of the track. The problem <laughs> is that Nico didn't do it very well at all. Um, what, I think... he, what he needed to do was just gently ease out and ease out and ease out rather than doing what he did, which was just go straight and break deep and hard in in a way to try and run Lewis off as quickly as possible. Had he just been a little, well, actually quite a lot, you know, more smart about it, mm-hmm. he could have still run Lewis off and got out ahead and probably won the won the race. But he snatched at it, he went too aggressive and ultimately I have I don't really have very much sympathy for him. Um I don't think he needs to be vilified for it because it's it's kind of what racing drivers do. Yep. I agree. What I think he you know, what you can criticize him for was the sort of uh ham fistedness of how he went about it. I think there's an element that we have to remember that these tires that he was on were were clearly going off. I think he, I think he had an element of understeer coming into the into the corner as uh, well, and just then then what happens is that you you gently you know you would slide out, you would understeer as you were turning, but he he doesn't turn the wheel until halfway into the corner. Do you think there's more of a calculated decision yes. to take the corner that way? Yes, that's fair enough. If he was on the ra- racing line, he'd have turned in earlier and be making the apex. But he doesn't actually start turning away from Lewis until he's practically in the middle of the corner. And at which point, you know, either Lewis has got to go straight on or Lewis has got to take the corner. And Lewis is not going to just go straight off the track. He's going to try and make the corner, expecting that the person on the inside isn't literally going to sort of drive in front of them. He basically cut him up. And that's that's the difference. I don't think he needed to do that to get the end result that he wanted. But he just kind of... I think he panicked really hard and thought, uh, only way I can do this is running him off the road, quite literally, rather than gently forcing his way across and trying to stick with it. Um Regardless, because at the end of the day, if he did it, he does it more gently. Lewis is gonna have to back off a little bit from getting straight hard on the gas, without the you know without the same thing. If even if Nico's turning earlier, he's still got the inside line. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's his corner at that point to be more dictatorial about what line he's gonna take. He doesn't need to try and go for a haymaker when you know he could do sort of a few little jabs that would end up pushing lewis off so that's i i have to criticize his you know like i say his his racecraft there because he's trying to do something and doing it very badly um it's something that drivers do all the time and unfortunately I've, it's funny really for for nico i've, I've seen him do it a few times where he just seems to just be a bit too, you know, like I say, a little bit too ham-fisted about it. It's not not quite delicate. He goes for a big sweep. And a bit like, do you remember in, uh, I think, was it Bahrain, where he came across the front of Ricardo and yeah, got yeah, a puncture? Course, yeah. And that's, that's the bit that I think 
you know, if, if Nico looks back on his career, if he doesn't win the world championship this year and he looks back at all of his championship stuff, those have got to be the little moments that haunt him where he thinks, if I'd just been a bit, you know, um, you know, if I boxed just a little bit clever here and not tried to go for a knockout move and just, you know, just kept with it a bit, a bit more subtly, a bit, you know, drove, drove within what I wanted to happen rather than at the extreme of it. I'd have had more points and, and been closer. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, and he, you, you know, the end result is he finished fourth when he could have finished first or at the very least second. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's ultimately my point is that he should have been, you know, there's certain drivers out there that would play the percentages and think, well, second's better than a DNF kind of thing. It's, I'm losing seven points, but I'm still in the lead of the championship. And I think just, like you say, he was too ham-fisted and he, his decision-making was was not 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 perhaps its best. So in the end he was punished for it. You know, he's he's got points in his license. He ended up finishing fourth as opposed to second and his championship lead is diminished. So the punishment probably fits the crime and I think he's very I was just sorry. gonna say I think he's I think he's very lucky that Kimi Raikkonen had his nose failure in Monaco that earned him a reprimand. Yeah yeah because it had set the precedent because it could yeah. have been worse. I think they could have tacked on time just for that. But I think they had to go, oh, we only gave Kimmy a reprimand, didn't we? So we can't really... Well, that's it. Once the precedent's been set, you know. Uh, so that was that. Um, I'm just... It's a real shame because I think Nico drove a really good race oh, up until the last three corners of the... <laughs> absolutely, 100% agree. And that's why I was really frustrated and just left the race so I really just sort of bitter taste in my mouth because it had been a cracking Grand Prix, it had been a cracking fight... Uh, between the two world championship contenders, one probably one of the best Grand Prix of the season. Yeah, I up think until in a lot that ways. point, and it just sort of it just really soured it because I came away knowing that that's all we're going to hear now for the whole week was <laughs> Mercedes politics. I'm just so sick of it. Like I don't want to hear it. Like after the race, I just turned the coverage off because I don't want to hear them debate about who was right and who was wrong. I don't want to hear them ask Toto if there's going to be team orders. I'm just not interested anymore. I'm so sick to death of all of that. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just not interested. So. I've just I've kind of avoided any of the news for a couple of days because I knew that's all it was going to be. I, I just uh, if it means Nico getting out of there and you know somebody and going somewhere else, then I, I don't at this point I'd almost prefer it just because I'm so sick of hearing about Lewis Hamilton versus Nico Rosberg, the inter team. I'm so sick of hearing about st- stuff off the track as opposed yeah. to what's going on the track, and it's it's frustrating. I don't gen- I genuinely do do kind of think that. I mean, it depends how the rest of the season goes, but I think that incident, if it's if a nail is going to be put in a coffin for Nico Rosberg at Mercedes, that is probably the one. It's it, it, it's so it's so obvious about what happened, and it's kind of so one sided in terms of who's at fault for that one. It, it isn't like Spa. Which I thought we, you know, was fairly marginal, and some of the other stuff in Spain and things like that, where you just go, you know, oh, you know, that it just happens in racing. You can't legislate for everything. You could legislate for this, and if if there's if there's a point, I think where Nico Rosberg's fortunes in Mercedes turn, that might well be it because um, it was it was such a throwaway moment. Um, 
I guess time will tell with that one. There's still talks yep. of these new contracts that we've been hearing about for the last six weeks. Who knows what's going on with that? So, you know, we'll, I guess we'll finally... That's becoming a bit like the Red Bull engine of last year. Like, where is Nico <laughs> Rosberg going to sign his new deal? <laughs> God knows at this point. What, what I mean, what's what's the hold up? You know, they say he wants longer than what they're offered to give. That kind of thing. Total keeps saying that it's going to happen. Just just give it time. It will happen. It will happen. So, who knows? I mean, do I still think he'll be there next season? I think yes. I think he will be, but. Like you, I agree with you. Like this, this weekend has done him no favors with that regard. So let's talk about the rest of the race then in the in the next part of the uh, podcast. Um, Max Verstappen and obviously Kimi Raikkonen um, filled out the podium places thanks to uh, Nico finishing fourth. Um, Kimi had, I think, a reasonable race. Um, didn't start from necessarily the best position, but but did well. I don't really know what Max did to end up second. Uh, <laughs> I don't so, remember really seeing anything. Good question. The same as me. I don't. I don't remember how he ended up in second. He just seemed to seem to go there because um, he was dueling it out with Danny Rick. They were both on track in about fifth and sixth, weren't they? Um, and Ricardo just seemed to go backwards. He got on a set of tyres that didn't seem to do him any favours. Um, and Max just seemed to go forward. And then after the set of pit stops, obviously he must have... I can't remember. I don't even remember. Did he overtake Kimi on track? Or was it a, Was it in the pits? I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, tell you what, let's skip it then. So Max comes in second. Well done to Max, however he did it. The, the little magical Max. Oh, he's the magic Max. I think I was too busy having my Nico Rosberg based tenth <laughs> to, to remember just, what was Just going erased on. it from your memory. Um, well, so realistically, I think we say good, you know, good racing for both of those guys. They, they kept themselves in a position where they could take advantage of anything um, and did. Um, we skipped Nico in fourth. Danny Rick in fifth, they, he um, two stopped, didn't he? So is it a case that the others did that's a three what, stop? I think that's what Max did. Max, did Max not one stop? And that's how, how he ended up. Um, oh, I, don't know. up. I don't I really don't know. Uh... Yeah, he did. That's what he did. So I think oh, he... did he end up, he was a... First at one point, wasn't he? And then both. Yeah, and when the two Mercedes, the two Mercedes come out from their second stops, and Max is in the lead because he's he hasn't stopped. He's dragging, he's dragging the tires ah, home. Okay. And that's ultimately what happens. So the Mercedes pass him because they're on fresh boots and they just drive right past him. But Max is able to then go into third and just hang on. And he's that's so it was essentially just a strategy thing. He's he's able to rig the tires out and, and get and drag it home. Uh, oh yeah, so Danny Daniel Ricardo stopped, and then the tires weren't weren't working for him, so he went backwards. Whilst Max stayed out and was able to keep going. Oh yeah, that was it. Because they they commented that Daniel Ricardo stopped, and he he couldn't make his soft tires last as long as Lewis Hamilton had made his ultra softs last. Which is mental. <laughs> <laughs> very very odd. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's how Daniel finishes in fifth. I mean, Denson Button finishing in a very credible. Um, and I think realistically well earned sixth place. Um, 
Absolutely, yeah. Good qualifying and good race. And absolutely nothing but praise for that drive for, for Jensen. Uh, it's life in the old dog. Yeah, as I said earlier, you know, lots of discussions about his future. Does he stay at McLaren? Does he go to Williams? Does he retire? Who knows at this point? I don't think he'll be in the McLaren next year. I think Stoffel van Dorn will be. But I also think he'll still be in Formula One. So where that is, I'm not sure. Probably Williams. I think at this point, if I was having a bet, he'd be in the Williams next season. Certainly doing his claims no harm at all uh, this weekend with a cracking drive. Roman Grosjean finishes back in the points for uh, Haas in second. Uh, second? Seventh? Blimey. It wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, interestingly, I, I saw I saw a quote, and I thought this was very funny, um, of Roman Grosjean saying, we're as fast as the McLaren Honda. And I was thinking, that's not really a compliment, is it? <laughs> You're almost as fast as one of the worst engines <laughs> on the grid. Oh well, um, but I, I guess I, I guess in a lot of ways you still have to remember it is their first season. So um, in reality, excited. saying they're as good, as good as a McLaren, even if it is the McLaren Honda of 2016, it is still quite an achievement in a lot of ways, um, and and a good good set of points given um, you know uh, the. It was a, a good weekend for both teams in terms of closing the gap on those around them, who I think had slightly started to wander away from them a little bit. With um, yeah, you know. particularly Haas, who you know after their lightning start, you know they were able to they they dropped away a little bit. So but they were able to just you know go, we're still here, you know we can still pop in with a solid points finish here. Uh, it's good news for them. Grosjean in particular has kind of been formed by the wayside the last couple of races. Gutierrez has been giving them a bit more of a challenge, so. I think Grosjean needed a good weekend, and, and he got one here. I think they were quite fortunate with the safety car, and that they, yes, got, they, they got they, a, they got the three pit stop, and then you know were able to make it work for them. But you know that's that's racing. That's I think, I think probably on that basis, even if you say he takes the the twenty seconds, he's probably still ahead of Valtteri Bottas in ninth. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which you know is only really promoting uh, Carlos signs ahead of him. So that's that's quite impressive in a lot of ways. Um, they're certainly they're hanging on better than I thought they might have been. I thought I thought that that early dip in for, you know that dip in form they've had over the last few races might well continue into the European season, where your cars have to be a bit more spot on to to make the most of the tracks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see when we go back to you know, something like um, Silverstone, um, which is a very technical track in a lot of ways, whether there is pacing. Whereas something like this with only nine corners and you know lots of straight, yeah, it's a, a, a lot decent- less. Decent pony in the back of it as well, but yeah. Grant, you know, we're able to able to make it work for them. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Interesting that they're still comfortably ahead of the Cybers, the Renaults, and the Manners, though. So you know, that's well, I, I would say that they are. Yeah, well, they, they certainly comfortably are. But if you, I guess, if you think about it, they um, for the points that they've scored, I guess maybe they might feel a little disappointed that they're behind the McLarens and the Toro Rossos, but. You know, again, first season. Yeah, I find it hard to be disappointed for them to be. Dis- they don't really have a justification to be disappointed for me, given that it is their first season. And the fact that they're able to semi consistently score points is, you know, for me, they're already massively overachieving. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, when you compare all the other new teams that have been correct, introduced. Correct. That's, ex- that's exactly what I'm comparing it to. Yeah. So, you know, they've, they, I mean, and we've talked at length about them before and the fact that they're, you know, sponsored by Ferrari, but. 
doesn't change the fact that it is their first season. So, yeah, I think they can be very, very happy with how it's going. Uh, Carlos Sainz finished in um, eighth place. Uh, yep. Again, I didn't really see very much of him. Um, I thought he was doing better. I wonder if he had a bit of a problem, the same combo as, as Danny Rick did, that he got on a pair, set of tyres that um, weren't suiting him. Because I knew, I knew he was he was higher up at, at various points in the race, I, I believe, um, and then dropped back from there. Um, lots of... Um, you know, lots of stuff filtering around the paddock that he's uh, an eye, a target for Ferrari, potentially, for Kimi's drive. Um, which isn't a bad shout. G- given how everybody else is, is tied up, really, who are you looking to take from that last thing? Well, maybe maybe Bottas, still. Um, although for- they're looking to tie up his contract at Williams. You've got Roman Grosjean at Haas with the Ferrari link. Uh, and Carlos Sainz, and I don't know if there's a little bit of me right now that would, would kind of be leaning towards Carlos Sainz. I think he's been very impressive in the Toro Rosso this season. I think he's been able to show that last season, A, he had a lot of bad luck, but B, he you know he, he was keeping the hottest talent in Formula One very honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, don't argue with those points, however, what... One thing, I think Kimi will stay, by the way. But no, if I were, was going to replace Kimi, Science is just as, yeah, his, his, his name is definitely in the ring. However, if I was to pick somebody right now, it probably would be Sergio Perez um, of, of all of that sort of crowd of of midfield guys that have all shown like they're they're about ready for the next step up. Your Grosjeans, your Perez's, your Hulkenbergs, your Bottas's, your Carlos Science. That sort of cluster of people... I think I was to pick one right at this moment in time, it would be Sergio Perez, but that's not taking anything away from, from Carlos Sainz. He's definitely, I agree with you. You know, I think, you know, given we were, I was, I was particularly one person that was, you know, saying needs to see more out of Max Verstappen before I can get quite on his hype train. I'm, I'm beginning to admit that, yeah, he is probably the real deal. <laughs> uh, and, and like you say, Carlos kept him very, very honest. So, there's no no doubt science has got something. What I think will ultimately happen is I think he will stay at Toro Rosso next season, but I'm not surprised that he's got, you know, suitors sniffing around, that's for sure. No, um, especially given the way that the, um, you know, the, the driver market is these days with, with so few available drivers. Um, you know, when you, when you see an eye of talent, you, people are, are picking them up quickly. I think um, yeah. I think what you ultimately end up with is science leading that team next year. Now that Max is out of it, and whoever's next off the Red Bull conveyor belt will be in his teammate because it certainly won't be Danny. Pierre. No, it, it um, doesn't seem like the way at all. So ninth place was Valtteri Bottas in the Williams. Uh, awful weekend for Williams all around. Not good in quali, not yeah. good in the race, and for that's a, a couple of races would... in a row as well, isn't it? That we've expected much and not really got yeah. the, the Williams delivery. For a track that you would assume they would be good on, I mean, Massa put it on pole around here a couple of years ago. This is Williams's bread and butter stuff, and they haven't shown up. If they're not showing up here, they're certainly not going to show up at like Singapore and places like that. So where are they going no. to show up? No, yeah. well, I'm not going to go on about it because we we say it. We like, talk about Williams every, every week. podcast. <laughs> we say when is it going to happen? When are they? Where's the development? And well, it, doesn't it doesn't seem to be coming. So nope. let's skip skip on to you know. Driver right, of the day. I am a I am a McLaren fan, and you know, button in sixth was definitely a feel good moment for me. But I think the feel good moment for 
everybody in general, all the neutrals and stuff, um, unless possibly your Esteban Gutierrez, uh, was um, Pascal Verlein scoring Manor's first non, um, you know, non-incident-based point. I'd like to say because Pascal was dead, dead last um, after starting from the pit lane and um, through it all, you know, there wasn't rain to, to take people out and, and promote him up beyond where he was, kind of like how Jules uh, got his point in, in Monaco, really. Um, you know, he really drove for that. And I, I think that's a that's a real good testament to that team. Um, for sticking it out through all of the uh, Virgin and Marussia years of dreadfulness um, to genuinely now, with the Merck engine in the back of the car, being able to legitimately drive to a world championship point. I think that's such a heartwarming story, and I'm so, I was so pleased to see it happen. Because um, wouldn't it have been, I mean, you know, no disrespect to Jules Bianchi at all in any way, shape or form meant by this, but it would have been awful if that was like the one point that Manor had scored and it would always be not tainted, but there would always be that heaviness of heart knowing that Jules had scored it for them and then had lost his life. It's the the team has something else to focus on now. And I think that's good for them. It's forward looking. It's about the future and what they can do to bring the car forward. Hopefully. Yeah, I completely echo all of your sentiments. So I like Verline. He seems pretty seems pretty handy. However, he didn't start from the pit lane. Didn't he? Uh, no, because he started in his wrong grid slot, remember? Oh! <laughs> uh, yes! Sorry. He, he Who started in the pit lane? It was Massa and... Da- Danny Fiat, I think. Started oh, the yes, it was. What happened was... I have Verlaine, no idea where I came up with that one then, sorry. He was at the back of the field after the safety car when, when it all bunched out. He, he was briefly at the back but he, once the pit stops shook out and stuff he managed to make his way back through but uh, okay but yeah um, yeah verlin was the guy on the grid who obviously there was a hole in the grid because of why was there a hole on the grid massa massa started from the pit lane yes correct so obviously verlin qualified but not just in the race by the way finishing 10th but also super qualifying qualifying in uh, p12 and qualifying and then I think, I guess, just, you know, the excitement and the inexperience of being so high up the field. Massa leaves his, his vacated space and, and poor Verlein drives straight into it. And you're thinking, no, he's had such a good qualifying and he's going to end up getting a penalty. <laughs> apparently, apparently Sebastian Vettel was near him on the grid and was one that, like, you know, waved at him to, to point out to him and he was able to, to reverse. I think he reversed back on the grid, which... He did. I'm not sure if that's legal or not, but well, they did it is punish him. until <laughs> until the red light goes off. Um, you um, you can move basically. Right. Okay. You you can't start, or you certainly can't start forward, I, I guess. But if you're if you're behind the line before the lights um, start going out, then you're fine, and that and that's what it came to. It was an interesting fact, and I caught this on Twitter, and it wasn't really widely reported, but exactly the same thing happened to Jules Bianchi when he scored his his point for Manor. He stopped in the wrong grid slot. Is that right, is it? Yeah, and he, but weird. he got a penalty because he didn't reverse back. Right. What a weird coincidence that uh, is. It is, really, it is really odd, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, of course, the interesting thing about that is that Maldonado had done the same thing, hadn't he, at another one, and had been followed by another driver into what was his pit stop. So Because you remember that he, he, he got a penalty and the person behind him got a penalty because they both 
just drove yeah, into yeah. the grid one grid slot yeah, too and far. And obviously he wouldn't have been able to reverse back at that point without somebody else was in there. <laughs> you know, ah, Maldonado. <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> but no, well done, Verlaine. A cracking, cracking job. Great drive. Uh, let's rattle through these then. Uh, Gutierrez in 11th. Um, I guess is a reasonable uh, reasonable drive for Esteban in the Haas, just outside of the World Championship points. Um, Jolian Palmer then in 12th in the Renault, which I think is a, a very good drive, especially finishing two places ahead of his teammate. Um, NASA in the Sauber, who was on screen a lot for being, I think, the, the, cork, the proverbial cork in the bottle. Um, he stayed out a long time as well. Uh, having started on the, I think he started on the softs. So yeah, he, did. He, became... he was one of the few guys that started on the slowest tire. So everybody who pits has come out behind him and then, you know, had to get by him. As yeah, Jensen was like the first person that came across him and was just like, oh, and then we got stuck behind him for about three or four laps before passing him, <laughs> which was really quite cool to see the McLaren actually passing cars on track genuinely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so again, a, a good drive from uh, Felipe there. Uh, Magnussen in 14th. Uh, um, he started higher up, I think, didn't he? Did he out-qualify Palmer? No, no, wait, he didn't, no. Palmer out-qualified Magnussen this time around. Um, no, no, he didn't. Mag- didn't he? Mag- nah, Magnussen, Magnussen out-qualified Palmer by a, a couple of positions, yeah. Oh, so That's, a very good not. drive from Jolien then, and not quite sure what happened to, to Kevin on that one. Maybe he just lost out in the pit stops. Uh, maybe he pitted just before the safety car and got, you know. Yeah, there, there was a point where Magnussen dropped right down, Um so I'm not quite sure. I didn't quite catch what happened, but it must have been a a strategy thing. You think he came in the pits and then ended up down down behind a few cars. And, and I know I know somebody pitted a couple of cars pitted literally just before the safety car. So they obviously came back halfway behind the field and then had to dawdle around the track to catch up with the the you know the the trainer cars that have been picked up by the safety car. So um, it might be that he got caught out there. Uh, Marcus Ericsson covering himself in more glory by finishing fifteenth. Um, and Rio Haranto in 16th. Again, he's not doing himself any favours there whilst his, his teammates finishing six places ahead of him. No, but it shows that that, that manor's got, you know, the ability to compete with your Renaults and your Cybers. This, now, this is no longer, the, you know, the rag car, which is so consistently off the pace by, by a margin. This car is now just another one of that cluster at the, towards the tail end of the grid. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be fighting regularly for these positions like Verlein has proven is capable so Haranto needs to up his game but having said that is he bringing a decent wedge of cash is it okay for him to trundle around in 16th if he continues to bring his money that's the question so let's go through our denoufs. Um Danny Kvyat on the first lap um, it, it seems if if it doesn't rain it absolutely pours yeah, thunders I mean, lightning I'm I, 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 just makes me sad talking about Danny Fiat these yeah. days. Like it's it's every single week now, you know. Like it's literally every week. He's I mean he had an off in practice, didn't he? Which um didn't help. No. You know? And then <coughs> oh, and then um that ended up in a in a pit lane start. So right away he's on the back foot, and then, you know it's just it's done from there. Really, this weekend's <laughs> already wrecked before it's even gotten started. So like lucky season, pretty much. Yep. Uh, Sevettel, we obviously know, exploding tyre. Uh, Massa retired in the end after starting from the pit, so I assume that was just a reoccurrence of whatever was wrong with the car. Um, Nico Hulkenberg retired, and I didn't. I don't remember seeing that happen on camera. Um, I think he just gave up. Yeah, having started second and literally Only plummeted down to like thirteenth or fourteenth. It was ridiculous. Yeah. He just. Ended, I think he just pulled into the garage and 
in Retardica. I'm not sure what the ultimate problem was in the end, but yeah, it didn't work out for him. Uh, Fernando Alonso retired. Um, I, I don't need to say that, you know, surprisingly, but I think this this race was a real shame because he was hovering around 11th place, and by the look of things, you know, he would have probably been ahead of Verline. So, you know, whether that puts him anywhere near around Valtteri Bottas, I don't know in the in the shape of things. But he was there or thereabouts on the cusp of the points, you know, before he before he retired. So, um, with the other people ahead of him sort of not going, I guess you know there would have been a a, a chance of uh, a double point score for McLaren there. I think without that retirement, um, and poor old Sergio Perez who'd done so well uh, after starting further down the grid and getting himself up into a reasonable position, uh, lost. Uh, was it was it brakes? Yeah, it... breakthrough for Sergio. Yeah, which is a shame because he was driving well. He was having a good race, another good race. I've been so impressed with Sergio lately. We met, we mentioned him when we talked about the Ferrari drive a moment ago. But yeah, he's 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 the one for me out of that midfield pack that's just sneaking his head above the parapet and and having a wave. He obviously had that move to McLaren, didn't work out. It was probably too too early in his career. I think now is probably the time for him to say, okay, let's have another crack at. Crack at one of the big boys. So that was the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, I quite enjoyed. I like. I enjoyed ninety nine point nine percent of that race. As did I. I. I thought it was one of the best of the season, right up until just just the incident at the end left just a bit of a sour taste. Yeah, and I would have been happy with either of the. Well, you know, either of Lewis or Nico winning it wouldn't have spoiled. You know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, I ruined it because. Lewis won. That was not what I'm saying. I'm saying it ruined it for me because it could have been an on-track battle that worked out one way or t'other, and instead it was just a mess. And yeah, that's like, not how you want your races to be decided. The proverbial fly in the soup, isn't it? Pretty much. So <laughs> yeah, still giving it a good a good rating, and you know it was interesting from a tactical point of view. We had a mixture. We had a good mixture of strategies versus a good mixture of some on-track battles. So yeah, so it was a good, it was a good effort. But I do like that track. It's, it's, I've always liked that track. There's it, it, there is opportunities to pass despite the the limited number of corners. There's what corners they have got. You, you can generally have a go into them. So I like. I do like that track. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting that the a short track without very many corners proves to be a place where cons- consistently there's decent races. I wonder if the <laughs> track designers will take note. Uh, it's also got gravel that punishes you if you go off. Yes. Which I like. I mean, I, Should we I talk pr- about the curbs very must, quickly? Yeah, just don't go on them and you won't yes. break your suspension. Good. Uh, that's all I wanted to say, actually. <laughs> I just wanted to say that every, it, it gets, they even described it as this, it gets, prover- it, you know, um, more, more and more of a deterrent as you go out. It, the, the red and whites aren't great. The red curbs are definitely not good, and then the yellow curbs are like to say, "Well, you moron, why, why are you out here?" It's like driving into a wall and complaining that your front wings come off. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't drive into a wall then. It's like the wall, yeah. Oh, get rid of the wall of champions. Everybody seems to keep on crashing into that. It's definitely a hazard. Uh, <laughs> okay. Just, no, they're there for a reason. Stay on the track. I've not really got much more to say. <laughs> like, don't be. T- <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I was just going to say curbs, yeah. Uh, uh, gravel, that's what I was going to yep. say. Yeah, I mentioned it before, I think, but just you know, these guys, if they make mistakes, if they spin their car into a corner, and le- I want to see them punished for it. Simple as that. These are the best drivers in the world. They shouldn't be making mistakes. And when they do, 
they should be punished by having a gravel trap. Even if it's a case of a gravel trap or, or, or some sort of um, grass, they should at least have something that isn't concrete, which is basically an extension of the racetrack. And that's my biggest bugbear is, is the concrete runoff. So either gra- gravel would be ideal, but even even grass, just not, not this concrete runoffs that we see everywhere in the new tracks. So it's one of the reasons I like coming back to these these historic old European tracks because they generally have a little bit more of more of that kind of thing instead of the horrible runoff areas that we get at, you know. Everywhere. Ba- Bahrain, for example. <laughs> so or Abu Dhabi. So yeah, more more of more of that please, track designers. Not that I expect to see it, but I can I can dream. <laughs> we can but hope. Yep. <laughs> well I think that nicely takes us to the end of the podcast for this week. A bit of a short one as we're heading very closely into uh the British Grand Prix this weekend, uh, which I'm highly looking forward to. Yeah, Silverstone, baby. It's that time of year. I drove past it on the way back from work the other day, and I was wistfully thinking about it um, as a you know the the time that I got to go in 2010. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm still not. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, thinking how how can I save up for the next one? The next go, yeah, next year. We'll go next year. Let's make a pact. Um, yeah, I'm still not overly in love with the new uh, design of the track with a change to the, the pits and stuff like that and the pit straight. I guess maybe it will come with time once I got used to it after a few more years. Still, still to me, Cops is still the first corner and always will be, you know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, who doesn't love Silverstone? So it should be a good one. And given, you know, that we've just come off the back of a, a really interesting race, Ferrari and Red Bull have looked a bit, maybe a bit sharper in recent mm. weeks Possibly, maybe it's that special thinking for me that we might get something that isn't just a Mercedes domination at the front. Time will tell. I don't know what the weather's like down there. Any chance of rain? Um, I don't know. It's been it's been all right the last few days. It's been little showers, but nothing big. So, I mean, to be fair, that's almost as good. Uh, when it when it rains for twenty minutes of a race and then leaves the rest of it free, it's often the more entertaining yeah. than when it rains for ninety percent of it. So, definitely. Definitely. It should be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. So in the meantime, uh, if you're wanting to check us out, you make sure that you bookmark www.lastlappodcast.co.uk where you can catch all of our episodes, uh, articles, blogs, uh, all the bits and pieces, news about the podcast. Uh, if you want to subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, you can do so. You can subscribe to us on TuneIn and you can subscribe to us on uh, Stitcher as well. Um, follow us at Last Lap Podcast on Twitter, uh, where we'll always post uh, interesting bits and pieces that we see across the Twitter sphere, uh, and join us on Facebook, like our page on Facebook. Again, we share articles and have conversations with people in there about what's going on, either on the podcast or in races. Uh, we are a friendly fan-based podcast, so we're looking for you fans to come uh, and interact with us, so please do. Uh, and on that note, I'll say goodbye for now. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.